Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you Friday, February 19th. It's a massive weekend. The Australian Open Finals are here. The first Grand Slam Finals of the 2021 tennis season wasn't easy to get here. Not easy at all. Hard quarantine, soft quarantine, pushed back by a month, whatever you like. No matter what, we got there. And we have two great finals on tap. The first, Naomi Osaka versus Jennifer Brady in the women's singles final. That'll be tonight. Saturday night in Melbourne, 7.30 p.m. That's probably in the middle of the night if you're stateside like I am. Whatever it is, get your coffee ready. It's going to be an interesting battle between two excellent players. Men's final is also set. That is Novak Djokovic, the eight-time Australian Open champion, against Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev defeated Stefano Tsitsipas last night to reach his second Grand Slam final. That's another very enticing matchup, of course, on paper. You have to think Djokovic is the man to beat in Australia, but Medvedev, red hot. Let it be known that both Osaka and Medvedev have won 20 consecutive matches. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. That's why we have Eric Goodris and Richard Pagliaro with us today to break these finals down. So why don't we just get right into the interview. See you guys on the other side. Hey, Richard and Eric, psyched to talk about the Australian Open finals with you guys today how are you i'm super excited to talk to you guys and we got a lot to talk about i'm doing well thank you it's good to have you guys on we haven't even done a podcast since before the australian open there is tons to unpack if i may use that overused phrase unpack i mean why don't we start with what's going to happen tonight in less than 12 hours the women's singles final between naomi osaka and jennifer brady Shapes up to be a good one. Richard, kick us off. Tell us what we have to look forward to in this contest. Well, if it's if uh, you know the U.S. Open semifinal is any indication, if it's a match like that, we could be in for another three-setter. It should be a tremendous match, and they're both coming off really exhilarating victories. I think this surface, the speed of the court, the players are saying this is the fastest Australian Open surface they've played on. I think it, it's going to help Naomi because she's – I feel like she's more comfortable taking the ball earlier. She plays a little bit flatter. And I felt like against Serena, she used the slice serve, the wide serve on the deuce side really, really well to uh, drag Serena off the court. And I think she's going to try to do that to Brady. But, God, Brady has weapons. She has a big serve. She has one of the biggest forehands in the game, big spin off the forehand. She can close at net. She played great. And I'll tell you, that last game against Morova where she really had to battle her nerves, and I think – three break points where she could have choked that game away and been in for another three set where that she was able to close that game. I think that's going to help her so much for the final because, uh, you know, she faced a huge mental hurdle and, and she dealt with it like a champion. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Jen Brady is what one of um, seven WTA first time finalists in the last nine events dating back to, I think the U S open in 2018. So we've seen a lot of new faces in the, Grand Slam finals on the women's side of late, and m- many of them come out as champions. Andrescu comes to mind, Igus Fiontech, and Roland Garros. Eric, what do you think of Jen Brady's game, and what do you think of her chances in this matchup? Yeah, I definitely think she's definitely got the game to win. It's the question of can she beat Osaka? I think it's interesting that in this match, unlike in New York, there is going to be a crowd, a rather sizable crowd. Yep. So that's going to make it 
to have that atmosphere of a Grand Slam final, and that's something Jen's never experienced before. So that's going to be interesting to see how she handles the moment. And she talked about being nervous in that semifinal. She's going to have to handle her nerves. Uh, again, we saw a little bit of nerves from uh, Osaka in the semifinal with Serena, but then she got over that and, of course, went on to victory. So I think it's a, more going to be about meeting the moment. Uh, Osaka definitely has the experience in these Grand Slam finals and is expected to win. But she is going to have she's going to have her hands full with Brady, especially if Brady comes out playing strong early in the match. Yeah. Uh, she's definitely got the weapons, like you said. She's got the serve, got the forehand. So if it's close, uh, you never know. But I think it's it's a lot's going to Jim Brady's really going to have to meet the moment because yeah. it's it's as she, as she said, it's a whole new experience for her. I think you make an interesting point there. It's it's Brady's first final, as we've talked about. It's now Osaka's fourth. And Osaka is kind of the queen of clutch right now in the WTA Tour. She's won her last 13 deciders in the Grand Slam. She's won 20 consecutive matches. We haven't even mentioned that yet. She's She is just red hot. And her victory over Serena Williams was just so impressive on so many levels. Uh, and you mentioned about Brady and her nerves, and I'll, I'll put it to you, Richard. You talked about how she finished off that match against Mukova. I thought she was a little bit shaky in that final game. Yes, she did overcome it, but she did show, in my opinion, a little bit of frailty. And and as Eric said, the moment's going to be huge in this final. With uh, I mean, we saw the crowds last night that were there for Medvedev and Tsitsipas. There's going to be a lot of people in the stands. There's going to be a lot of pressure. Do you think she'll be up to the task in terms of her mental game? You know, that's that's the million dollar question. I thought you know the freaky thing about that last game is she kind of had that false celebration where yes. she thought she won but she didn't really win and then you have to recalibrate and reset like oh my god I didn't win you know so it's like all the air comes out and then you have to get it back yeah it was a really really shaky game but I think when you get through something like that it helps you you just don't know someone's first major you know it was interesting she said right after the match I can't feel my legs you know it was like one of those kind of things where yeah. almost your just to control your body in that situation it's your whole life that you worked for in that one game and she had to scrape through it's you just don't know until she gets out there i think the start is really critical you don't want to get down a break you don't want to give up your serve you know the, the big thing about this match is they're two of the best in the game at holding serve i think naomi led the tour in 2020 like 85 percent of the time holding serve and brady was like 80 percent. so yeah. they're two players that can hold serve when you hold serve and they play, played a tie break in New York so you know you like to see them both come out and just swing freely and loosely but as Eric said it's a grand slam final they're going to be super super tight but I think the crowd could help both of them because it just seems more like a normal match when you have people there and the crowd have been super pumped there and I felt like Brady got a boost from the crowd mm -hmm. to uh, sort of get over the finish line at the end. Yeah she really likes Australia and playing there and gosh you gotta love her game and you gotta love the fact that she's back in a final so soon after reaching that semifinal last year. She's clearly a player who's um, in, a, in a great spot right now. I think she's going to rise to at least 13, could could make it up to number 12 in the rankings. you got to think top 10 soon to come, the way she's playing on hard courts right now. But gosh, Naomi Osaka, I mean, she's on the cusp of winning her fourth major title at the age of 23 she'd be one of just four active players to have more than three majors if she does it she'd be one of just 16 players in history if she wins that fourth major um 
what can we say about this woman and, and what, what, what does it feel like to you? Richard, you and I were on this conference call with Lindsay Davenport. She's talking about Osaka becoming the dominant force in the women's game for the next five years. Do, you, do either of you guys see this playing out, coming out to fruition? Eric, starting with you. Well, I, do I think it could happen? Yes. I think what Osaka certainly has potential to improve on is her results outside the hard courts. Yep. So it's if we're talking about dominating the tour, um, she's only reached the third round of the French Open and Wimbledon, which, if you think about it, seems odd. But, of course, she's 23, so she certainly has plenty of time. So she, it's in terms of dominating the tour, she's her next step is to go deeper at Wimbledon, go deeper at the French Open. And then then she certainly can, then we can certainly talk about her being a dominant force Throughout the entire season. Good point. You think you think she can do that, Richard? What what Eric's talking about? You know? I think her game will translate really well to to the grass if she can find her footing. The movement to me is the issue on grass, but the way she plays, her serve, you know, her ability to beat you down the line off both wings. I think that's all great. Her game, I think, will be successful on grass once she figures out the footing. I think the clay is always going to be a challenge for her. So, I, I to me, I think she's going to kind of fashion her career more like. Sharapova, where I think you're going to see her play not as much as other top, you know, one, two players have played, but I think she's going to go all out to just try to rack up the majors. And you've seen this is her shot now to do the double double, the U.S. Open, Australia back to back twice in a row. But I do think she will, I do think she will figure out grass. I think clay is going to be the, it's going to be a thing where will, will she really try to solve clay or will she take more like a Pete Sampras approach? Like, yeah, I'll play the big ones, but it's just not my, my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, time will tell, but I think she's going to wind up playing more of a limited 13, 14 events a year and just try to win them all. The ones that you're in. I have this feeling that she's going to win double digit slams. What do you guys say about that? Yeah, I do. I do think so. I think so. But again, the field is so deep. Yeah. Um, if she does, it'll be a great achievement because the field is so deep every tournament. Yeah, there's a lot. Also, of... you look at her game, and as good as she is now, you always feel like she can. Even her movement from when she won her first U.S. Open to now, I feel is better. Even her defense, I feel not that she's a defensive player, but her ability to extend a point, I feel is better now than it was. So you've seen her evolve as a player, and I think her ceiling is just higher than anybody mm-hmm. else. Although I really like Andrescu's game yeah. too. I think her ceiling, her ability to elevate her game. You know, we haven't seen the best of her yet, there's, I don't think. There's a lot of young talent, as um, as Eric was just pointing out. A lot of the slam winners and first-time slam finalists are under 25 right now. So we're setting up for a really nice era and a lot of competition. So it's definitely not a lock that Osaka wins double-digit slams or even wins a fourth. And you know what? There's one, one final point I want to make about Osaka at this Australian Open she was one false move away from being out in the fourth round against Garbini Muguruza. It's not easy to do what she's done. She's, she could potentially become the fourth player to win the Australian Open saving match points in the last seven years. Lee Na did it in 2014, Kerber in 2016, Wozniacki in 2018. So it's been happening a lot in Australia. It'll be amazing if she's able to pull it off. Um, speaking of the match points, and I, I thought about this a lot after Serena Williams lost to Osaka in the semifinals, thinking... In my mind, Serena Williams needs a draw, a bit of a draw implosion right now in order to get that 24th major that she seeks. I feel like she can get it, and I feel like maybe if Muguruza had won, converted one of those match points, she might have gotten it here in Australia because, to me, 
She certainly seemed ready to hoist the trophy at the end of this fortnight. She was moving great. She seemed really determined. And I feel like it was some of the best tennis we've seen for her at any slam since 2017. What say you, Eric, about Serena? Um, yeah, and speaking of like a draw implosion or having um, a better draw, after that loss, I was immediately reminded of uh, some tennis history between Martina Navratilova when Steffi Graf um, rose up the, rose up in the mid, mid to late 80s to become the dominant player. And Martina was chasing that ninth record Wimbledon singles title. Okay. And it seemed like, well, it's never going to happen now because Steffi Graf is the dominant player there. And then, of course, Monica Seles was also rising up at the time. And it just seemed like it's never going to happen. And, of course, in 1990, Gina Garrison came along and beat both Graf and, and Seles and got to the final and Martina won the title there. So I think that for Serena to get to this number 24, I think she certainly could do it, of course, but she may need a little help draw-wise or uh, someone else knocks out the favorite at that time. Um, that's kind of the scenario that I see. And again, it could totally happen, but that, that sort of that moment for my average level is kind of what reminds me of this scenario right now. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Certainly, certainly don't want to be going Sabalenka, Halep, Osaka to get to the final, right, Richard? Yeah. And that, it would help her if she got the ranking up a little bit so that she had the seat higher so that she could avoid some of those matchups. I just think that Osaka will be a problematic matchup for her the rest of her career. That's not to say that she can't beat her. She has beaten her. I just think Osaka, she's 16 years younger. She plays a Serena style game, but she plays it with more athleticism, more explosiveness. And right now her serve is every bit of weapon, if not bigger. So I just think that's a really, really big obstacle. If she doesn't have to face Osaka at Wimbledon, I think she can beat anybody else. When she played great, I felt the Potapova match. You look at the, some of those rounds where she came through the Hallett match, Sabalenka four all in the last set that she was able to elevate. She moved well. I thought she played well. She just run, ran into someone who's just beats her at her own game. She just doesn't match up well with her right now. And I felt I felt like if you look at to me the one big stat was after the first set. You know, no forehand winners, and I felt Naomi just broke her forehand down. She just didn't have the confidence in those forehand exchanges. I think that's a problem going forward. But if she doesn't have to play Naomi, I think on grass she can beat anybody else with that level, with the level she showed us here in Melbourne. Yeah, and it's it's funny because Serena was able to handle Sabalenka's power game pretty well, and it, it was just like there's a little bit something different to what Naomi Osaka was able to bring to her that really seemed to throw Serena off. Maybe she was a little bit of nerves, a little bit flat-footed, but yeah, she did seem to have trouble adjusting and hanging with, maybe it's the variety of the fact that Osaka can go up the line and, and on either side, as you mentioned earlier. But yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be a tough matchup for Serena moving forward. I feel like some of the other matchups that maybe were tough in years previous might not be as tough anymore because she's moving so well. And I actually thought that no way in heck could she win Roland Garros. But actually now, seeing how well she's moving and, again, talking about a draw that maybe implodes a little bit for her, I could potentially even seeing her winning that title. I know it sounds a little crazy, but... Uh, and you guys can stop me if I'm losing. If you think I'm losing my mind here, no, it's not. It's not impossible. Again, I think a lot of that depends on the French Open is always the most unpredictable slam for the women. Uh, depends on how the court is playing and um, kind of who she faces. Uh, you know, she won that that last French Open where she was 
sick, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, and she had every match was a three set battle, and she found a way to to do it. So, yeah, I mean, if 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 she can maintain this le- this this level of the moving and and dig, you know, she won more of the ten shot rallies against Simona Halep in their match, which is an unbelievable stat. Isn't it? Yeah. If she can do that, then sure, she could win another French Open, depending on who she's facing there in the semis or finals. Right back at you, Eric, with a big picture question. Is Serena building her legacy or tarnishing it by playing through the age of 39 and and soon to be 40? No, I think she's adding to her legacy. Look, she's she's gotten to the semis and she's gotten to several grandstand finals. She hasn't been able to to get over the the hurdle to win, but uh, the fact that she's still out there, she still wants to compete she's she's chasing this record it's 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 amazing and inspiring so i think so when serena's ready to retire she will definitely let us know but uh, mm-hmm. she's she's playing tennis on her terms and it to me it's inspiring absolutely richard what do you got on this subject i mean to me i would say this australian open both williams sisters inspired me maybe more deeply than any other losses that they had with venus practically crawling around the court to finish the match knows how much courage, how much guts, how much passion, how much they really care and love the sport, that they're these, you know, superstar athletes, you put them in any city in, in the world and they're recognized, but still when it comes down to that raw competition, they just pour it all out there, so incredibly inspiring to me, and I hope she keeps playing for, you know, as long as she wants to, and I think this year is a really, really big year, because I think she's looking at Wimbledon as the one where she could possibly, you know, match the record, and also her Olympic record is so phenomenal, both of them, I think they really want to play the Olympics again, so I think she's I think she's all in for this year, and look, if I were her, sure, it's an absolutely devastating, painful loss, and you saw how emotional and tearful she was afterward but when she looks back like you said chris big picture i mean she played really really well and she played some of the top players and she just poured it all out there she just got beat by a better player on that day but there's no shame in that that happens you know and and i hope that she'll be encouraged by it and not and not discouraged i felt she also made a good point in the presser where she said you know if she would have got that double break in her mind she's almost thinking i get the break here or stretch it out four one five she really felt like she could have got on a roll but she didn't get that second break and then Naomi found her game, and it was like one-way traffic after that. Yeah, I think it's funny because, of course, look, the media, of course, is going to talk about retirement with somebody who's 39. I mean, let's just let's just face that fact. I think it's funny to watch Serena's reaction because she's just like, are you – she isn't saying it, but I, I feel like she's like, are you kidding me? I'm going to win my 24th major, I'm not, and that's when I'll retire or 25th or something. Like, she's so, like, has this sense of purpose with her, and she's so committed to, to, to playing and to achieving her goals still I don't even think she thinks about retiring at all right now but it, I mean it I mean I think in on the front burner is winning more majors and that and she's just like I don't want I don't know what you're talking about I just said goodbye to the fans for because I won't be back here till till next year or, may, or maybe I'll win two majors by the end of the year <laughs> and so I won't yeah. come to Australia that's why I was saying goodbye you know I mean I think it's funny that she's not gonna I, I don't see her retiring it, it, until she gets this done and I don't know I agree with you. I think, and I think she'll do it. And I also think on a on a person, it's just poignant to see her that move. To see her, t- it just shows how much it matters to her. Winning and losing, it really, really matters. And I think that's that's really cool to see after all the matches, all the tennis, all the big moments she's had. That she's still so invested in it. Yeah. it it's deeply inspiring. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this subject. Um, um, because, it, yeah, the Williams sisters, they really rocked it. And Venus, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Her, her effort against Sara Irani was just uh, very moving. But we only have so much time, so let's move on to the men. They also have a final. It'll be 24 hours after the women's final. It'll be Novak Djokovic, a guy who has had some success at Melbourne Park, winning eight Australian Open titles against Daniil Medvedev, who is just um, just just flying right now. 20 consecutive wins, defeated uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Andrei Rublev back-to-back to make this final and just made them look like, it made it look like child's play. He's looking so good. Uh, Eric, I haven't heard from you in a few minutes here. What do you think of Medi? How, how well is this guy playing and can he make a difference? Can he potentially take down Novak Djokovic in this final? He's playing unbelievable, and uh, I certainly think he can do it. I think he believes he can do it. If he goes into this final, as he said, all the pressure he believes is on uh, Novak to to win yet again. And the interesting thing for me about Medvedev is he is sort of the, not so much game-wise, but in terms of personality. And he, he in some ways, he reminds me of a young Novak Djokovic. He is like the disruptor mm. because he, when Novak Djokovic won but the 2008 Australian Open, and he said later to the crowd, "I know you were rooting for Sanga," and the crowd went, "Oh!" He, he, Novak, when he was rising up, everyone was like, "Well, they weren't expecting him because it was always Roger and it was always Rafa." And then Djokovic is now part of that conversation in terms of potentially all-time great. And so now this next generation with Tsitsipas and Zarev and Team. It's Medvedev is all of a sudden like, wait a minute, this guy, how is this guy here? Because he, it's, you don't expect him because he's so tall and his, his shots are somewhat unorthodox. Yeah. But he has this, it's his personality, his belief that he, he belongs out there and um, he, he does interesting things. He sometimes makes a shot selection you don't expect, but they, they're, they're turning incredible. And, he come, I think he comes out here with a great chance against Djokovic. Um, I know Djokovic has talked about being injured and not 100%. Of course, we're never really quite sure what that means. Um, but, I mean, but Medvedev is on this win streak right now. I mean, his last results over the last couple of months have been incredible. And uh, the crowd, you know, the crowd will be interesting to see because he plays against the crowd and he's, he, likes, he likes being the antagonist. Yeah. Whereas Djokovic, I think, when he was younger, liked being the antagonist and now wants the crowd support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a fascinating um, it'll be a fascinating match. I think he certainly has a shot to do it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Richard, what do you, what do you think about this matchup? Just riff for a while. Well, tell, yeah, me, tell me your thoughts. About the crowd. I was thinking about them when Medvedev hit the backhand down the line against sits a pass and he kind of gave it to all the Greek fans. He was doing the <laughs> waving. It reminded me of the U.S. Open where he was almost like, how do you like that shot? So Speaking it, of it'll be great because the Serbian, that... Serbian fans will definitely be out. So that'll be a factor because the crowd will be loud and they'll be into it. I think if you just go on current form, believe it or not, I think you got to favor Medvedev just because 20 wins in a row, 12, 12 wins against top 10 players in a row, handled them easily. I, I realize it was indoors, different circumstances, lower 
bounce, but handle him easily in London. So I think if you look at all that, you've got to favor Medvedev. That said, I still give Djokovic the edge for the big reason that he's never lost a final there. Yeah, and crazy. that's his home court. He feels so comfortable. You see him so emotional there. And the greatest moments of his career have come there also. I think a big factor is his five-set record. Djokovic has like 33 five-set wins. Medvedev yeah. has one five-set win, and that came against... Krajinovic in this tournament. So, you know, as fit as Medvedev is and as great a strategic mind as he is, the experience of playing five-setter, and he did play Rafa great five-setter at the Open. He did. Novak's a really, really tough guy in best of five sets, as we saw the Wimbledon final against Federer. So it's for those reasons, it's really hard for me to go against him. I thought Sitsipas made a great comment after where he said Medvedev's serve has evolved to almost an Isner-like level. The way he hits it so flat and that he can hit the angle on a flat serve is just incredible how well he's serving. And if he holds serve, he's definitely got a shot. I just think if you look at the way Djokovic is serving, Djokovic leads the tournament in aces, and he's faced huge servers to get here. He, he beat Fritz, who has a big serve. Raonic has a huge serve. He, he owns Raonic, but he also beats Zverev, who's a great server. So he's seen big serves on this fast surface, so I, w- I would definitely give him the edge. Yeah. 20, 28th Grand Slam final for Novak Djokovic. He's cracked a couple of milestones already in Australia. He, uh Locked up his weeks at number one record, which he will pass Roger Federer and and notch his 311th win at week at number one on March 8th. He also won his 300th Grand Slam match. So, I mean, going for his 18th Slam title is pretty ridiculous how well he's been able to do in Australia, never losing past the quarterfinals. Nine and no now in semifinals in Australia and trying to go nine and no in finals. What can Daniel Medvedev do on the court in these rallies to disrupt Novak? Anybody have a thought on that, Eric? I mean, I think it's going to be. I'm going to be interested about the backhand, the backhand exchanges uh, between those two. And um, like you said, I, I think it may also come down to serving. I think. Uh, I think actually, I think it is more important for Medvedev to have a really great serving day. Than it is for Djokovic. Like you said, I mean, Medvedev has this incredible flat serve, but again, Novak's one of the greatest returners of all time. Mm-hmm. So I think in order to to have a chance, he's going to have to have a really great serving day. Um, otherwise, if, if, no, if Novak is able to pick apart his uh, serve, then it's game over. Mm-hmm. And, and a quick bit of trivia, but I came across a tennis abstract article um, yesterday on streaks against the top 10 you know, in regard to the fact that Medvedev has now won 12 consecutive matches against top 10 players. And do you know who the player that had the longest streak against the top 10 is? I'll give you a hint. He's I from Switzerland. <laughs> He's from Switzerland. Oh, uh, well, Federer. <laughs> Federer, 24, according to Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract, 24 match wins against the top 10 uh, from 0-3 Masters Cup to 0-5 Australian Open. But interesting, you mentioned Djokovic. He has six streaks of 12 or more against the top 10, so leave it to the big three to kind of like own that category as well. Um, but Richard, I heard a little bit from Patrick Moradoglu about Medvedev's ability to kind of lock Djokovic into the middle of the court and take away angles and kind of bore Novak to death. Do you think that's a strategy he can use? Do you think, you know, sort of like the playbook from their previous match in the Australian Open, just kind of uses consistency and and sort of take away 
any aggression from this match and just try to tire Djokovic out or just kind of like, you know, make it a kind of a boring baseline battle? Is that something you see happening? Well, depending how physically he feels, if he feels the legs are strong, he can definitely use that for stretches because then what you're doing is taking the guy who's one of the best players on the counter-strike and you're forcing him to create by just playing, you know, dead ball down the middle, no pace, and make him do something which is not necessarily his game. To me, it'll be interesting the longer rallies at the outset because the last time they played in Australia, although Novak won in four sets, I was really impressed with how Medvedev was not only willing but able to hang in 20, so 15, 20, 25 ball shot rallies, and he was willing to just stay there and go and grind like that. And that takes a lot of uh, confidence and just self-belief because, you know, that's really hard to do against Djokovic. And like I said, although he lost the match, you know, I think I felt he made a statement that I can stand here toe to toe with you. And to me, the big key is, you know, he he's much more comfortable playing back six to eight feet behind the baseline. Djokovic is at his best when he can step in on top of the baseline. And is he confident enough? Can he do that against Medvedev? And is Medvedev going to try to defend, or is he? You know, Djokovic. Remember at the French Open final against Rafa, he came out early, tried to drop shot him, try to drag him off the baseline. Is he going to try a similar thing, knowing how far back Medvedev plays? Is he going to go to the drop shot early again that's another that would be nice. kind of yes. thing to look for but uh i yeah I, I don't know i don't think it's gonna be like just you know right down the middle i think one of them's gonna have to take the initiative and the, you know the serve and returner are crucial but mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be a great final i think i feel like djokovic is gonna have to find a way to get to get medvedev off in his forehand corner more than his backhand corner and i think you're right that's a good point Maybe bring him into the to the inside of the near the service line and try to get him to move that way, which he's probably not as comfortable doing. So yeah, good point. Some. Well, that's his only real weakness. He's not good on the tra- he's not really good at the net. He's not a natural net guy because he never comes in, and he's not great on the transition. But he has good feel, and like Eric said, he's a big guy. But the low ball doesn't seem to bother him. That's what amazes me. For a guy that hits so flat and he's so tall, you figure, well, you just slice it low, and you're going to get a lot of balls into the net. It doesn't. He's able to dig those balls out and and really play with depth off those yeah. low balls. It's very very hard to do. Yeah, and Medvedev, of course, it should be said, he's three and four lifetime against Djokovic. It's not like he's uh, he's definitely taken. Uh, he had some nice matches against him, including one in Cincinnati, where I think he just threw caution to the wind and was able to survive a really tense third set. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a fun I, I one just, to watch. I just want to say one other thing. Unlike uh, the the women's final where Jim Brady is in her first Grand Slam final, Medvedev was in that U.S. Open final, so. He, this is not new territory for him. I think he's going to enjoy the moment. I think he's going to enjoy, even if he's down two sets to love, he's going to enjoy it. He's going to, and that is, that's the X factor. Yeah. He's going to enjoy the moment and just play free. And with Medvedev, you, you never know. So I think the moment's not going to get to him. And for Djokovic, there's all the pressure to continue, continue the streak, continue the record. So I, 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 I think that's something to watch out for. It's, it's yeah, sad. and the other thing is the way they actually serve. If you watch Medvedev, when he's on a roll, he takes two bounces and hits a He can streak through a serve game in like 60 seconds, whereas Djokovic, is, he'll do the 17-18 ball bounces under pressure. I think Medvedev, if he gets off to a roll like that where he's throwing down love service holder, he's holding easily just the pace of the way he can hold so quickly, he can use that sort of try to work the match 
you know, to his pace, the tempo of play to his pace. He doesn't waste a lot of time. He rarely goes to the towel, even. I mean, it's just point after point with that guy. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, I think the start is going to be key for him. Yeah. So, Eric, it sounds like you're really um, sold on the fact that Medvedev can make this a competitive match. You're, it, sounds like, it sounds like both of you guys are 50-50 on this match. I'm 50-50, but I'm still going with Novak. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you got to go with Novak just because of the rat being undefeated there. I think you, and I think also Djokovic, big picture, if he wins this title, he's at 18, he could conceivably tie those guys. He could get to 20 this year if he won. And I think also the urgency knowing that, hey, last year I left the U.S. Open on the table. I could have won that. If Wimbledon had been played, he maybe could have won that. I think there's a big sense of urgency, like i got to win these now while we're able to play tennis and play slams. So, yeah, this, is, this is important. This is, his house. this is his home court. I mean, this is where you see the best of of him, so I would expect his best here. We don't really know about the injury. He said there was an MRI. He he won't reveal the extent of the injury. You just got to assume he's good to go because he looked great in the semi. Yeah, he looks he looks fine, and I often uh, it's remarkable how well. I think he probably overreacted to what he was feeling. He's so sensitive to his body, and I think at this point it might be completely behind it. But if it does become a factor, I mean that definitely does favor Medvedev, of course. So and we'll have to keep an eye. This this is a fascinating matchup. I think um, it, it, on paper you would think of the guy who's got 17 majors against a second time Grand Slam finalist. It's just gonna this is an easy pick, and we're all kind of thinking Djokovic is going to get it done. But we know it's a lot more complicated between the lines than than it looks on paper. So yeah, this is going to be awesome. So what else? What else can we talk about before we wrap this one up? We went pretty long on these two exciting finals. I think deservedly so. But there are other storylines that maybe we should discuss. I know Eric wanted to talk a little bit about electronic line calling. How did you feel about the the way that it's gone over these over this fortnight Grand Slam holding uh, no, nobody on the lines, just um, automated calls all the way around. I mean, for me personally, I have to say I I liked it. Uh, I thought it kept the matches moving, which has been a big a big issue the last couple of years about the, the, the pace of play. And there's no there's no room for any kind of drama or second guessing. Um, I do realize that you know it's a larger issue for the tours and perhaps smaller tournaments where. It's a question of the expense of these types of electronic line call systems, and of course, you have actual human beings who could, you know, losing your could lose their jobs because of this. Um, and uh, I think a point that Milos Raonic made earlier in the tournament about sort of the tradition of, you know, the having lines people, people knowing about the rules of the game, the, the progression from being a lines person to an umpire, that whole thing. Yeah. But I think that just having the ability just like the call is made it's done let's move on uh i think it just allows everybody to focus on the match and uh, for me i thought it was i thought it was great do i think it's going to be a thing uh moving forward to other majors i don't know but um i i certainly liked it richard what do you think i and, and just to add to your point eric i think it's pretty to me it seems obvious that it's going in that direction whether whether you like it or not um but i and I did enjoy the certainty of it, for sure. Maybe I missed the drama of the odd challenge, but I certainly did not miss the drama of the player without challenges getting rooked because a bad call happened. Or, or let's say, uh, a bad call when a player decided not to challenge was actually in or out. You know, Of course, we know that the electronic calls aren't perfect either, but yeah, it, did, it didn't create a little bit more certainty. Richard, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, I love it. I think it's inevitable in the next five years. I think you're going to see it across the board. Maybe Rolling Arrows will continue to be resistant just because of the tradition and they like to do things their way. But I think it's just inevitable. The game, they're playing at ballistic speed. It's just too fast for the eye. And I agree with you and Jill Simone 100%. I don't think I don't think it's 100% accurate at all, and it's not. People get confused. It's not the actual ball on the on the on the actual court when they show you the replay. It's a computer simulation. So I agree with him. It's not 100%, but you know what? It's 100% better than the human eye. That's for sure. The other thing is just it speeds up the match. If you look, some of these great three setters we saw on the women's side were like two hour match where they just because they just keep playing. You know, it's continuous, and I like the pace of play that it speeds up and it eliminates the confusion and eliminates the anxiety, the stress, and you just play ball. And that's what we all want to see the best tennis with the, you know, with the most fair calls. And I think it's, the, it's the best system and it's inevitable. You're going to see it. No doubt. I think so. There's a, and Eric, your point is great. There are a lot of jobs and there's a lot of people that we've seen, you know, talking about this issues is that all these linesmen there could be a, uh, expendable in the not too distant future and so i think it would behoove tennis if they're thinking about a moving to electronic line calling everywhere that they should be think about finding jobs for some of these people these officials somewhere somehow so we don't lose uh, yeah the, the pathway to the chair is important but just just the people that are having jobs in tennis you don't want to i mean it'll make it easier i guess from a financial standpoint, but it's hard when you just get rid of all these assets. And these are fans for life. These are people that embrace and love the game. And it's um, so I hope that they find a way to create more jobs as they t- potentially take away these jobs. But I don't know how. Uh, I any agree. Idea, any ideas? I agree. I, I don't know the answer to that. But one other somewhat related note is that I also feel that um, hopefully this will be also the end of uh, ball kids getting towels for players. Yes, please. Which is something I was not a fan of yeah. pre-pandemic. Nobody misses it, watching people yeah. get handed towels. Um, so, yeah, that would be a nice development. So, the, you know, the pandemic has created some nice, maybe slightly positive changes in our lives, and that's good. Okay, so we're going to pretty much wrap this up, but... And there's a lot of stuff we left uncovered. We didn't really wrap up a lot of the great things that happened. So I'm going to leave you guys a chance to say one thing that's on your mind that we haven't talked about in closing, starting with you, Mr. Richard. <laughs> I was dreading that you were going to be first. I can help you. I can name some players for no, you. No, 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 there's a lot of things going through my mind. But I'm going to say, so I don't forget this, the one thing I really, really appreciated about this Australian Open was Shea Suway, the what she oh, did. Yes. At her age, to come through her style of play, that she's so unique, such an individual that she stuck to the, the game her whole life. Where you know it's so difficult for her to get a pathway just to get on the tour, just to get a practice partner, and that she's just so much fun to watch. She's so cool, just her style, the way she walks, everything about her. I really was really happy to see her have that success and uh, play as well as she did. She played great. And so, if you have a tennis video game, you're going to choose her character just like Naomi Osaka would do. Oh, and Eric, you're probably like, God damn, he took Chase away from me. Now what am I going to come up with? What do you got? No, I, I, I just want to give a shout out actually to uh, Samantha Sozer, who is going to be playing in the mixed doubles final. How about and, that? And uh, that's an amazing achievement for Sam. And of course, we don't know if maybe this perhaps might be her last Australian Open. We don't know. Of course, she's struggled so much on the single side there down under. But uh, great to see her playing well. 
at her home slam and um, perhaps adding another uh, major title to her impressive resume. That'd be cool. And that final is tonight after the women's final. It'll be Stozer and Matt Ebden against Krejcikova and Rajiv Ram, who's in the men's doubles final as well. So he's having a great Australian Open again. So a good one to bring up there. Um, I guess it's my turn, and I'm struggling a little bit because I didn't realize I was going to – um... <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I want to talk about the so many things. For, I want to say Jen Brady is in, is in these finals, by the way, after hard quarantine. That's something we didn't mention, but that's not my right. big subject. I want to talk about Karatsev. Um just because it's so random and it's so unique and it's just so inspiring, I think, for a lot of the players that are ranked in the 100 to 300, maybe even 500 range that they think, like, maybe I could qualify for a slam and reach a semis and just, like, totally jumpstart my career and come out of that slam. He's going to be ranked in the 40s. He's basically got a year of playing on the tour of being in all these main draws. He's 27 years old. Lots of people hadn't heard of him before. Lots of people had just heard of him when he qualified. Whether you heard of him or not, it's just a ridiculously amazing story. I mean, he's the first uh, first ATP player to ever make the semifinals of a slam on his debut. It's just this random, crazy story. And he's got a heck of a game. And he actually played Novak Djokovic very tough in that semifinal. He kind of like didn't didn't buckle under pressure, didn't play poorly, wasn't like cowed by the moment. Just really just a cool story. And I hope to see... We always have stories like that at Slam. So this guy just took it another level, and I hope that it, it does inspire some of the, you know, lower ranked guys that have never really clicked and never really had it happen for them. That hey, your time could be coming. Just keep plugging away. So that was a cool story. I mean, everybody's been talking about it, but you, you got to hand it to that guy. And it was it just made it an even better Grand Slam for Russian tennis, which was already pretty solid with Medvedev and Rublev doing so well, and Hachinov played well as well. So that was cool. And I guess for us, we can wrap it up. Maybe we'll come back right after this uh, these finals and wrap it up if you guys are into it. Um, I would like that. And in the meantime, you guys enjoy the, the action tonight, and um, we'll be talking over the slack. That sounds great. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. We'll talk soon. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Thank you to Eric Goodris. Thank you to Richard Pagliaro for joining me. That was a fun discussion. We are so pumped up for these finals. Hope you are too. Don't forget to follow Tennis Now while you're enjoying your tennis over the weekend. Hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis now. We're on Twitter at tennis underscore now. We'd love it if you join us on Apple Podcasts. Just uh, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast into your Apple Podcast browser and voila, you'll find us. We'd love it if you rate review subscribe to the podcast it always means a lot to us we appreciate the feedback we appreciate your listenership we hope you enjoy what are going to be some amazing finals this weekend and we'll be back to talk about them next week enjoy the tennis everybody talk to you soon